You know what? Everyone is an expert. Welcome to the show. This is the Everyone an Expert show with Brett Rossum. I am your host, Brett Rossum. Very happy to be here. I have a bit of a story to tell. Um, I, I'm going to introduce my guest in a minute, but before we introduce her, I got to tell you a little story about something that I did, which was different uh, to say the least. Um, I was invited to a sweat lodge. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. I'm talking about Native Americans inviting me to a sweat lodge. I, you know, I say these things and the studio goes crazy. Like I'm like, I've lost my mind. We're all shaking our head in disbelief. <laughs> okay. Look, this is how it happened. I was, I'm, you know, I've got, uh, some health things going on, no big deal. But somebody found out about it and said, you know what? You should go to a sweat lodge. And I thought, well, why not? You know, naturally that's what I should do. Um, and so a, uh, an authentic Hopi Indian invited me. Um, this was in downtown Salt Lake city. I showed up and the first question he asked me when I got there was, did you bring any tobacco? Now, I did not get the memo on the fact that this was required. I didn't, I didn't know. But I didn't have any, and luckily he did. So he gave me some tobacco, which according to custom is uh, required when you meet the person, uh, the, sort of the master of ceremonies. And I was invited to this backyard where they had literally built a sweat lodge in the native American way. They had a, about a 10 foot fire pit that looked like the hottest thing I've ever seen in my life. The stones that were inside of this pit were glowing red. And we spent about a half hour, um, grabbing these stones with this long, long pole and hook. And we'd, we'd roll these stones up and then I'd take a pitchfork and we would transfer these stones to this pit inside of this, sweat lodge. And when we got about a hundred, 150 of these, you know, massive stones in there, the ceremony began and I did give my tobacco to the, to the, the head guy. Uh, I understand he was a, or he is a Lakota Indian. Uh, there were two from the Hopi tribe and I'm probably going to not pronounce this right, but it's the Da'e Indians. I think, I don't know. I, I don't ask me. Um, I didn't get all those details, but there were four and then, uh, myself, um, an army vet and, uh, another guy. So there were, there were three non indigenous people and then the four, you know, American Indians there and very, very privileged to ex have experienced that. Now I had no idea that it was going to be as intense as it was. I've been in saunas you know i mean i think the temperature definitely not as hot as a sauna no i mean de definitely or you know sauna, yeah much hotter say. than a sauna it, it was it was overwhelmingly hot i mean to say that it was 250 degrees in there is is probably calling it short and but what was amazing is that underneath that the i guess they were animal skins that they made part of this out of because there were there was indigenous art um, wolves, eagles, bears, you know, inside. And that's the last image you have when they shut the flap on that thing. And I mean, it's pitch black. 
after that. And they had four drums in there and they started singing in, in their native tongue. And I, I mean, it was terrifying, spiritual and amazing all at the same time. Um, definitely something that I would want to do. Yeah, it, it was, it's a longer story to tell you how I ended up, you know, in, in, in a position where I was invited. Um, I appreciate them so much for having invited me, having invited me, but I, I might be too chicken to do it again because there was a point where I, I literally thought, well, I have, I have not had a panic attack to the level of what I experienced inside there. It was explained to me later that they're really, it's intended to induce a fight or flight response and to overcome that. And I almost clawed my way out of the back of that thing because I'm, there's no way I'm getting out the front because I've got four Indians, a white lady, a, 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 a white dude and a fire pit blocking me from the exit. There's no way out of this thing. And I thought I was going to have to claw my way out of the back. And then my friend, one of the uh, gentlemen who's a Hopi Indian, he just very calmly said, lie down. And what was interesting was the ground was frankly much, much cooler than the air. And I, I got a little bit of relief. And just when I thought I was, you know, maybe going to hang in there, that first series of singing ended. And the flap came open and air came in and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make it. <laughs> I, I don't have words to, to describe exactly, um, what I experienced in there. All I can tell you all joking aside, it was special. And that was a fantastic experience. And the only reason why I thought to tell that story is because that was my experience in the hot seat. And this is yours. This is my experience <laughs> in the hot seat. Well, welcome. Thank um, you. According to your book, uh, am I to call you Elizabeth Renee? Is that more appropriate for this very public podcast that we're doing? Would you prefer that? Uh, just with, you know, yeah. just with that, it's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know I you. Mean, you know me, you probably know me with a few different names. I so do. So whatever you feel comfortable with I, is up to you. I have known you about a decade, and yep. I cannot recount the names I know you as. So um, we're going to refer to you as your pen name today. That works for me. But. Before we talk about the book, you have another job. I do. You're not just an amazing author. There's something else you've been doing for the last, how long? Over nine years. Nine years as a law enforcement officer. Yes. Okay. So here is the big question. I've got lots of big questions for you today, but. All right, let's go. Why in the world did you become a law enforcement officer? So, growing up was hard. Um, just big family, youngest of six kids. Uh, there, there were times where I just felt alone. I didn't have anyone to talk to. Didn't have anyone to help me through any problems or issues or anything like that. Um, so, I wanted to become an officer so that way I can be there for someone when they need help. I I remember that feeling of feeling alone and not having anyone and I don't I don't want anyone to feel like that. So if I have the opportunity just once then that I'm going to take it. I'm going to make sure at least 
one person does not feel alone. I feel like it's, you know, it's in a common theme, but it's an intensely personal theme. The law enforcement officers that I've known over the years, they say things similar. Has it been your experience that most of the cops that you work with get in it for those reasons? I don't know if most, but I mean, you will have the select few that come into it for personal reasons and wanting to make a difference. Yeah, I definitely uh, wanted to do something special and I can definitely say that, that the job has been special um, for me. You know, I've, I've mentioned on the show before that as a reserve, I get to choose, you know, if it's, if it's hailing, sleeting, snowing, I might just stay home. But so I, I have not had exactly the experience that you have had because there was nobody really compelling me to come in when I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a bigger question. How has it been as a woman? in law enforcement? Well, before I came into law enforcement, I always thought that, you know, being a female, being, you know, smaller in statute. I wasn't going to say it. You're, I mean, you're, you're over five foot tall, right? I'm a little, I barely. Okay. So depending on my shoes, I might be five, three. Okay. Most of the time I'm five, one. So you brought it up. So how is it to be a tiny woman (laughs) in law enforcement? You have to find a really big voice. You have to pull up your big boy pants and you just got to, you just got to go to work. Now, you know, in thinking about um, some of the women that I know in law enforcement, I think that some of them get a bad rap because they try to find that big voice and it isn't always, it doesn't always come across the way that they intend. Right. Have you found that that's a difficulty? I I didn't have too hard of a time, you know, fitting in, you know, getting along with everybody. Um, I don't know if that's just my personality, um, but I have worked with quite a few other law enforcement officers and the females, you know, they have a hard time. You know, they have to find that very small line between being the friend, making sure you do have those boundaries up um, and letting them know, you know, I'm female. This is what I, you know, I'm okay with. This is what I'm not okay with. And I think there are some females that maybe try too hard to you know, fit in, be one of the guys and take the jokes. And it's just, it, it is very, I, it's very hard. It's mm-hmm. hard for females to, to find that line. Sure. And, you know, I always applaud uh, women who who make the sacrifice to to join a boys club. I mean, they're and that, it is a boys club. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, you, you just looking at it, you have to admit it. It's it's over ninety percent male in right. some parts of the country. In other parts of the country, um, you know, those numbers are much better. But it just depends on where you are. But in many uh, in many states, you know, it's hard to find any women in law enforcement. Um, I, I don't know the stats here in Utah, but I know they're not stellar in that department. Yeah, they're um, not big. I'm I'm the only female in my department right yeah, now. So yeah, and I guess I guess uh, for disclosure's sake, um, I'm a reserve in your department. Yes, you are. And that's not that's not where I met you. I th- when I think back uh, to where I met you, I think it was at street survival training in Las Vegas. 
Or was it before that? It was before that. It was just before that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we did go down there with a bunch of friends who in law enforcement and right. went through that training, which was fantastic. So it was, yeah, it was slightly before that. I'm getting old. I can't remember everything now, but, um, so that's been a little while, Pr- probably it has. coming on a decade. So yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible. Incredible. Well, I'm really excited about what I learned just about a week ago about you. Now I've known you for some time. Uh, you're also you're also my supervisor. Oh my goodness! I just remembered. I am. <laughs> am so I in trouble? You, no, but you better you know t- just remember that while we're talking about this. <laughs> right. I might be in trouble later. Um, I learned that you are a writer. I am. And when did that begin? Not the book, but when did your interest in literature begin? I must have been fourteen, fifteen. Tell me about that. What was it like uh, back in those days? What were your dreams and aspirations at the time you got into reading and writing? So, for whatever reason, I just always thought it would be fun to write a book. You know, starting with something, moving all the way through it, putting your words into a story. Um, so, it's something I've always wanted to do, well, since I was a teenager, so... I just started, just started writing, you know, poetry, short stories, you know, little things like that. And it just progressed from there. And you were, you were keeping these things uh, to yourself for the most part, or were you sharing any of it over the years? Uh, yeah, I just kept it to myself. Right. Not a lot, not a lot of people knew that I like to write. Yeah. Well, I think it's fantastic. So then you come to a point where you decide to not only write something, but to share it with the world. What, what led up to that decision? Tell me about that. Well, I decided that, you know what, it's finally time to fulfill a dream. So let's start writing. And the way that the, the way that this got me, you know, started is I had a dream. This, this whole book And the beginning of this book is all because of a dream that I had one night. And it was so um, emotional for me. And just it it stayed with me. You know, the details of of the dream and, um, you know, how I felt in the dream. And so I, you know what, this is perfect. I'm going to, I'm going to use this. And that's how the book starts. That's inc- that is incredible. I, you know, as I read and I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm, um, I'm still reading the book, but I'm, you know, about a third of the way in and it was captivating. And I got to be honest with you. Well, I don't want to give it away. I can't say it. I can't say what I'm thinking about that, but you <laughs> don't, know, you don't know, give it away, but if you read the first part of yes, the book, you'll understand. You'll understand. That's, so that's, you guys, you've got to get the book. It's called finding justice by Elizabeth Renee. Where can they find it? Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, they have the paperback copies. They also do it on, you know, the, the Kindles. Uh, Barnes & Noble has it on the um, ebooks, Nooks, however you, whatever they call them. Uh, and then you can also go to Dorrance Publishing, and you can also find it there. Fantastic. So I'll just say this. I'll say that as I began reading it, I was surprised a little bit about how intense it got as quickly as it got there 
to the point where I was like, I had to put it down for a second and be like, wow, I got to take a breath because, you know, I'm not going to say I have PTSD um, necessarily, but it definitely reminded me of some things that, um, that I've thought about or had to deal with uh, in, in part of my life. Um, was there any of that for you as you have this dream? You say you have a dream. I'm wondering, did you ever equate that with the effects of the job? I think so. Uh, as I, as I was writing it, you know, I, I actually had to stop quite a few times because I would just start crying as I'm writing this. And, you know, my hope is that as people read and start thinking, you know, this is something that law enforcement faces every day. We don't know kind of how our day is going to start or how it's going to end. And just, I just want people to, you know, feel the writing and, and feel that story so that way they can, you know, maybe get a new sense on what we go through. Without giving the folks um, too much information about the plot, can you tell us generally what is the book about? So the main character is a female law enforcement, a strong law enforcement officer. Um, and she is trying to find justice for um, an incident that happens uh, at the end of her shift. Um, and, you know, through this whole, through the book, it's a, a cat and mouse game where she's trying to find the suspect, but the suspect is, you know, watching her. So it's just, it's a, it's a fun cat and mouse game. Um and it's it's an easy read, just something to where after a long day, you can just sit back and not have to think about it and just relax and just read it. I love books of this size because I can I can pick them up and I can read them in a day or two. Um, I think, you know, page wise, it's under 200 pages. Right. And um, it flows very, very well. It's an exciting story. I'm really glad that you did this. I have to ask, though, I, I understand a little bit about your schedule just because you know i we've worked together on the street and i think we've backed each other up at times and you know um and i get to go home and not come back for a week or more you know as a reserve but you're right back at it the next day and day after that and day after that how did you ever find the time to do this honestly i have no idea I think any time we went on a road trip, I, I had my laptop just sitting on my lap and I'd just type. Um, early in the morning, before anyone gets up, you know, just just write. Anytime I had just a free second, whether I was able to write a page or, you know, a few chapters. So it was just anytime I had a free second, I'd just sit down. How long did it take? So I started writing this book uh, probably about two years ago and just threw out with work and, you know, kids and marriage and life. Um, you know, I would set it aside and, you know, get caught up with, with life and then I'd pick it back up again. So it took me quite a while to, to actually write it. Yeah. I, it's incredible um, to keep that kind of a, a schedule and then, find time to do something like that but that's sometimes what it takes to you know get to the next level it's that that extra effort it's you know choosing instead of 
sitting in the easy chair and, you know, sipping a cold one and, you know, watching the ball game, you know, you're back there typing away. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, sometimes the difference between average and greatness. So, well, okay. Uh, switching gears just a little bit, best time on the job, best, uh, occasion where you think back and you're really proud of that moment. And then maybe, if you're if you're comfortable with it, worst time on the job. Well, we'll start with the good. Okay, let's do it. Um, responded on a medical. Um, it's a elderly male had a heart attack, had some heart issues, other health issues. Um, arrived before paramedics got there. Uh, started you know working with the husband, making sure that you know he was still breathing and and all of that. And as soon as paramedics got there, um, you know, my job wasn't done when the paramedics got there because his, his wife was there and she was frantic and she has health issues and problems and concerns and, and heart issues as well. And so just taking, I just, you know, I talked to her, I calmed her down, uh, you know, explained everything and just, it's okay. He's here. He's getting help. It's okay. And her husband made it, which is good. And every time I saw them on the street, you know, gas station or the store or whatever, she would always come up to me and give me a hug and just thank me. You know, you know, she, she tells me I saved her life, but you know, I was just there to calm her down. And then I drove her up to the hospital, but anytime I saw them, it was, they were so grateful. You know, what's amazing about, you recounting that is that it it reminds me of the millions and millions of interactions that law enforcement has with the public that have nothing to do with crime right nothing to do with the investigation of crime nothing to do with taking people to jail nothing to do with what frankly a lot of folks have been rioting about you know in the past eight or nine months um I think that those stories need to be told time and time again. I wish the media uh, would do a better job covering the good side of it. Yeah. And uh, there is so much of it. I've heard statistics, 350 plus million interactions with the public. And frankly, guys, most of them are like that. Yeah. Um, There's just a small portion that involves use of force and, and those sorts of things. All right, switching gears. And okay, and when I say back. when I say, you know, the the worst time, you know, it could be scary or freaky or you name it, whatever you're comfortable with talking. I know there's so much and there I know is. that there are plenty of things that you don't want to talk about on this show or any other, but pick one for me that you'd talk about. Years ago, I uh I did I handled a DUI. Um worst case worst stop that i've done it just started you know started bad and it just continued to go bad and just um not physically wise like there's fighting or anything like that but just little things you know that just kept piling on and uh the dui took six hours just to get her to jail and uh 
I mean, one of them got locked in our um, holding cell. The lock broke. And so things like that. That's, you know, just one thing after another, one thing after another. And it was just, it was horrible. It was the worst What's the worst call I've been on? <laughs> and so, how do you how do you reconcile those things? You have you have great days. You have you have terrible days. You, in the same shift, you could have a spectacular situation and go right from that to something like this. I mean, what in the world do you do to make all that work? To come home to a husband and and a daughter and other kids and and be normal. You got to take time for yourself. You have to, no matter how hard it is, work is work. Leave it at work. Um, You know, there's been a lot of times I get home and I I tell my husband and I tell my kids, I need 15 minutes. Just give me 15 minutes and then you can talk to me. And they know. They just leave me alone. I just go upstairs, you know, to my room and close the door and I just take 15 minutes and just breathe and let it go. And I know we've, we've, mentioned it already about how perhaps writing has been therapeutic. Oh yeah. There are people out there listening right now. Uh, Most of them are law enforcement or connected to law enforcement or military. Um, Our show is really about helping folks transition to that next, you know, part of life that has nothing to do with public service. Right. So you wrote a book but you also got it published. You also, people are buying your book. Yeah. How, how do you make that happen? I don't know. <laughs> I, my, I'm taking a baby steps, writing and then getting it published and then getting it sold. We're working on that. I mean, uh, we've had quite a, quite a few books sold already, um, which I'm excited about. Um, I don't know. What do you, what I is just, the first step? And even finding a publisher, how did you go about doing that? A lot of Google, <laughs> a lot of Google. Um, but also, you know, sending out, you know, snippets of the book and my information to, uh, publishers and editors and, um, anyone that I thought would be able to help me finish this. Did you, did you utilize a professional editor or was that not necessary? Oh no, that was necessary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not an English major. (laughs) So, uh, I did send it off to, uh, an editor, not with the publisher, um, you know, made quite a few changes and, and then sent it to the publisher. And, um, obviously they had someone to go through it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so they definitely helped out with that. And so the, the, this editor, was this somebody, is this a service? You paid a service to look at your book? Uh, the publisher, the editor's with the publisher. Oh, I got On you. that second okay. one. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then they, they made a few revisions and made some suggestions and then you hit them with a final draft and then right. away they go. And then I guess they negotiate with you right. what, what you get, what they get and, mm-hmm. And distribution, uh, you mentioned a couple platforms uh, for distribution. They, I, I assume they negotiate with you where they're going to release it and under what circumstances. Right. And the price of the book. Yep. And, you know, you've got to get your little ISBN number on the back and make sure that that's 
on Amazon. And I know a little bit about this, just a little. I know. It's official. Yeah. There's a, there's that number on the <laughs> that, back. It's once official. you get the ISBN, you have made it. You have <laughs> the ability to sell your book. It's going to end up, I think, the Congressional, li- what is it called? The Library of Congress? I think they, they track this stuff. And you could call the Library of Congress and say, look up this ISBN. They'd be able to do it and figure out who this Elizabeth Renee is in her book, Finding Justice. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's a little crazy. It is. Well, I think it's I think it's fantastic uh, that you did this. What are your plans for the future? Are you going to write some more? Uh, yeah. This is uh, book one of uh, a sequel. So, wow. Or not a sequel, but it, it's book yeah. one of a series. series of books. Wow. So you... you probably at this point don't know how many but you're definitely writing a second book there'll be three there'll be three for sure Mm -hmm. oh that's great yeah is that also something that you negotiate right up front with with the editors no so we just do one book at a time Mm -hmm. um so this is just the first one and when uh i get closer to finishing the second one then we'll start back up and working back and going through the process to to get it published yeah how are the uh, the folks uh, at the agency treating you over this? Are they being good to you? I, not a lot of people at, at the agency know. Oh, really? They're, You've kept it so very quiet. There's Ooh, a hand. I'm going to tell them. Oh, I know you are. You're just going to, you're going to just take a picture of it and just blow it up and put it everywhere. Well, I tell you, we have this little podcast that's going to get the word out to I some know. of them anyway. The I word know. will get around. I think that's great though. And I think they should be proud of you over there. And I, and I really hope you do bring your book to work and slap it right on the desk and let them just take a look. Why not? Cat's out of the bag. That's true. You know, there's, there there's is no hiding it. There's no putting it back. Yeah. There's a sales and marketing aspect to this. You might as well at least take the book that you wrote, put it on your desk and just watch what happens. These guys are going to be like, uh, is that you? That's me. <laughs> That's you. That's my name. <laughs> I think Different it's name, but it's still me. It's still you. They're going to know. They're going to know. And I think, uh, I think they're going to be, I know they're going to be very proud of you because I'm very proud of you. Thank and you. Yeah, and I'm just I'm excited to 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 finish it. Um, well, I hope that wasn't too much of a sweat lodge for you sitting no, here with it me. It was it was it was good. It was cool. So next time you come to work, I will make sure to go easy on you as well. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Well, listen, um, I I appreciate that you came on the show and uh, you did bring uh, your family. Um, I know that because I can see him over there in his cowboy boots. I, you know, I know, I know your husband and I, and I've worked with him, um, over the years, just like I've worked with you and, you know, we've backed each other up and, you know, he's had his, uh, scrapes and scuffles. And I think we've, we've had business with him at the firm, you know, time and again, and some of the stuff uh, that's happened out on the street. Um, I, I just wonder though, cause I know his brothers, how did he end up such a redneck? I don't, I don't get the same thing from, I from his brothers no like, one no one was knows. he dropped on his head as a child i mean what what happened probably <laughs> i mean probably on purpose i know i know the family i know <laughs> i know the brothers and it just cracks me up every time i talk to him because he reminds me more of the people i grew up with in south carolina than than anybody that i know in utah so well he is just very a good old boy. easy to distinguish on the radio <laughs> he's got his little southern drawl he that does i don't know where, where does that come from? from i don't know it's amazing 
I'm only messing with him because he's in the studio. I know. We should mic him up so he can defend himself. No. He's a hard no. Hard pass. Well, Elizabeth Renee, thank you so much for being in the studio today. And folks, Finding Justice is the book. You can find it on Amazon. And the name of the other uh, publisher is? Uh, Dorn's Publishing. Dorn's Publishing. And also Barnes & Noble. You can get a... electronic book of it fantastic and 16 dollars. you can barely get a pizza for that this lasts way longer yeah thank you thank you